Tonight's reading is from Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 33. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, 
I will disown him before my father in heaven. Cheerful, or very cheerful, is it? Let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our Father, for all of us who know you, it is indeed our testimony that we were blind until your spirit came, opened our eyes, opened your word to us, and we pray that he would be at work again this evening, opening eyes to behold Jesus Christ for who he is and uh, helping us to live lives that are dependent upon you and live to the praise of your name. Amen. Now, what a great passage. We commission uh, uh, an elder and uh, a new staff member, and uh, oh, it's Matthew chapter 10, and Jesus is commissioning. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, how very useful uh, that is. The, uh, years ago, um, uh, Dostoevsky, I don't know if you've read the, uh, the brothers Karamazov, or started and then given up, uh, which is a shame, because if you've started and given up, you'd never have got to, I think it's about halfway through, uh, where he tells essentially a parable of uh, Jesus comes back to 16th century Spain, for real, I mean, in the the flesh, and uh, he's arrested and imprisoned because he's just a bit too radical for the church. It's the church that arrests him and puts him in prison. And uh, you have this interview between the Grand Inquisitor and Jesus. And uh, he says, can I just ask you a few questions, Jesus? And in one sense, it's a, it's a parody of the questions that Jesus is asked when he's tempted in the wilderness. So he, just, he says, uh, can I just ask, what would you do about uh, bread? And Jesus says, well, a man must not live on bread alone, but on every word of his father. Yes, yes. Yes, we've tried that, and it doesn't really work. So uh, what we do is we give people real bread, and uh, we ignore what happens in heaven. Oh. Um, what about signs and miracles, Jesus? We, we go for them in a big way. We think that's the way to attract people with signs and miracles. This is why no, I'm, I'm not into putting my father to the test, really. Oh. Yes, you see, that's why we've imprisoned you, Jesus. And uh, the famous quote is, we've corrected your mistakes and made it easier for people to believe in today's day and age. suggest a church would say we've corrected your mistakes jesus because your teaching is just too difficult for people and we want to make it easier for people to believe so uh, i'm terribly sorry we've corrected your mistakes and you need to stay in prison now by contrast uh, i was very struck this week uh, this week i met up with uh, a guy who uh, comes to the lunchtime talks here on a, a tuesday lunchtime and has recently become a christian and uh, we're meeting up to read the Bible together at the moment. And uh, he came out with a very simple, blunt, profound statement when we were looking at a similar passage to, uh, to Matthew 10 in the week. He said, gosh, Jesus is cool. It's very binary, isn't it? It's binary. He either says, he says, come to me. And the choices are, no, I won't. Or... Yes, I will, and I give you everything. There's nothing in between, is there? We either say no to him, and then we're lost, or we say yes to him, and then everything is his. Binary, isn't it? I said, 
Very good, very good. <laughs> good, I, yeah, I like that. Now, uh, I want to say the, the choice for, uh, for Simon, for Andre this evening. Uh, what sort of ministry would you guys carry out? Will it be one that um, just needs to correct Jesus a little bit because he's too offensive and he upsets people? Or will it be one which just says, no, here he is, and his call upon your life is everything? That's a choice for all of us as well. It's not just for those who are, in one sense, commissioned to a particular role, as uh, we'll see in Matthew chapter 10. That's the call for every single one of Jesus' disciples to take his words that seriously, wholeheartedly. That's the call that Jesus makes. Now, uh, the passage is slightly in two halves. You get verses uh, 1 to 16, uh, which I think, uh, sorry, 1 to 15, which uh, I, I want to persuade you, they're fairly unique. Jesus is commissioning the 12 apostles, and we're not to expect everything that he says to them to apply to us. But then we'll see in verses 16 to 33 that he broadens it out, and that's truth for all of us. And essentially, here's uh, here's his uh, message for tonight. If you want to be like Jesus, and certainly if you want a, a ministry like Jesus, expect hostility. Brilliant. It's one of those talks. Yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> it's one of those. Let me just uh, show you, first of all, verses uh, 1 to 15. There, there are some things we can learn, but predominantly here is, uh, here is teaching uh, for the original apostles. So uh, just let me uh, pull out a few things. It's one of those passages that makes you realize you can't take every verse in the Bible and say it's about me. Not everything in the Bible is about you or about me. So you just need to be careful. Some things need to be read in their context historically and in the context of salvation history. So just, uh, for example, in in, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. I don't think anyone claims that's true today. Don't mishear me. Of course, God can heal sickness and disease. He, He can do that. But if you meet anyone who says, hello, my name's... I can heal every sickness and disease, every one of them. You might be thinking to yourself, yeah, I don't think so. Every sickness, every disease, really? That's quite a claim to make. I mean, it just takes one man flu that you fail to heal and then it's all done. You know, the, uh, you know my, my knee's not quite as good as it used to be. You know, really? Everything? No, 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 that's, this is fairly unique. He's, um, what Jesus is saying to them is, I'm giving you my authority. So if you just look back at chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. And now he says, now I want you to go out and take my message to uh, other people, and I give you my authority to heal every sickness and disease. That's unique. No one claims to have that today. It's just for them. And if we're in any doubt, he, he lists them. This authority is for, verse 2, Simon and Andrew and James and Zebedee and John and Philip. It's for them, okay, not, not for us. Or uh, similarly, verses uh, 5 and 6, Jesus says to them, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of
And uh, gosh, that, that might be all right at the weekends, but tomorrow at work at, at college is going to be a bit tricky, isn't it? You know, the boss comes in and, or the, uh, the lecturer comes in and uh, starts lecturing or the boss gives you a piece of work. Sorry, just before we start, are you Jewish? No. Mm. Any Jewish relatives? N- no. Mm. On the mother's side, anyone? No. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave and just, um, <laughs> this is not for us. Do you, do you see that? You can't just apply this straight to us. You can't always do that with the Bible. Or verses 9 and 10. Do not take any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker's worth his keep. Now, again, this would be fairly difficult to implement tomorrow. You go to work, no money. I mean, you could be a legalist and say, Oyster card is not money. It's just an Oyster card. You could, you could probably get away with that. It's just about maybe in your own mind. But no bag, no handbag, man bag, suitcase, whatever it might be. Um, no shoes, mm. a bit awkward in October, staff you can live without, no extra tunic, well, you know, it's okay at the moment, but come the winter, I might get a bit chilly. You can't apply this, this is not for us, do you see that? Jesus here is saying, this is for a limited period. Here is ministry before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, this is a limited type of ministry. Don't try and apply it to yourself or you'll be jumping through all sorts of hoops tomorrow. It's not always for us. By contrast, verses 16 onwards, I think Jesus does open it out. Certainly by the time you get to verse 18, he's talking about witnessing to Gentiles. There's a real shift there. So it shifts at that point onwards. So while there's things we can learn, I mean, there's similarities between verses 1 to 15 and then what he goes on to say. And the main one is the same point. So expect hostility. Some hostility will come. Just don't be surprised. So two things, really, Jesus says, and we're going to focus in on this uh, 16 to 33, which is uh, a more broader application to all disciples, I think. Two things. Don't be surprised by hostility, but don't be afraid. So he's talking to believers, of course, here predominantly. Don't be surprised. There's not become a Christian and... Here's the small print, and uh, whoops, look what you've signed up to. He's saying up front, oh, look, if you become a Christian, don't be surprised when people are hostile. But don't be afraid. Let's look at them in turn. First of all, then, uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 16, is the sort of general uh, catch-all. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes. And as innocent as doves. It's a vivid picture, isn't it? Not many of us here are shepherds, but I guess we can uh, work out what that looks like. Sheep, they're not renowned for their fearsome defense systems. They're defenseless. A wolf, by contrast, is a savage animal. And he's saying, in very unflattering terms, look, I'm sending you out, your sheep, because you've got no weapons. You're not to be hostile. You're to be very careful, very gentle. But there'll be some who you meet who will hate what you have to say. 
they'll hate you for it. Let's think very briefly. Who, who will be hostile and why they'll be hostile, okay? Well, the who, well, there's lots of people. Uh, so uh, verses uh, 17 to 20, you get synagogue and state. I guess church and state will be hostile. Verses 21 to 22, it's families and friends. Let's think about that first uh, group first of all. So verses uh, 17 to 20, well, synagogue and state will be hostile. Verse 17, be on your guard against men. They'll hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. Now, this might at first glance be slightly counterintuitive to us. You think, well, why would, why would the religious people be hostile to Christians? Well, that was the, sort of the genius of um, uh, Dostoevsky's little parable, which I gave you at the beginning. Saying there'll be some in a sort of national setting who will get so Im- involved with the state, they'll be so concerned with worldly power that they'll just, they'll just want to water down Jesus' message. They'll just want to correct it because it's too, it's too hard. Don't be surprised, Jesus says. It'll be the religious people that do that. Don't be surprised if in the UK it is the who say, yes, the Bible, it, it's a, we need to move on from the Bible. We need to move on from Jesus because he was just speaking in his own culture then. So on some of the, the, uh, the hot issues of the day, so on sexuality, Jesus just didn't understand Uh, then verses 18, 19, on my, don't be surprised if the state is hostile. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Don't be surprised at the state's hostility. And you see it in certain high-profile cases. Did you see uh, the account, the, uh, the incident with Dale McAlpine? Uh, it was April of this year. It sort of became fairly well known. He's a guy in uh, Workington. He was just uh, spe- preaching in the street, preaching away. Nothing, nothing publicly that he said uh, was offensive. In a private conversation with one man, he talked. He gave a biblical view of. Uh, sexuality and said, look, I think sex is for a man and a woman in marriage. Publicly, he never said that, actually. <laughs> but uh, the police come along, and it's, you can see it on YouTube. I said, I'm sorry, we're sorry, sir. We're going to arrest you under Section 5 of the public. No, in truth, the police were overzealous. They shouldn't have done that. They've gone beyond the law there. But it was one of uh, uh, several cases very similar at the time. Don't be surprised, says Jesus. Don't be surprised when that happens. Say, oh, well, you know, the government, they'll always be opposed to us. They'll always be hostile to us. I'm not saying that in any sense at all. It's good to campaign for, uh, for good laws which are in line with the Bible. It's good to do that. It's good for the nation overall to do that. But don't be surprised if government is hostile. 
We've lived with a, a benevolent government for so long in this country that uh, people are shocked when laws come which are, are hostile to the Christian faith. Well, that's just a historical position. Jesus says, oh, don't be surprised. You've had it good in the UK or in the US or Australia or wherever you're from. You've had it good. Don't be surprised if that changes. It'll change. Uh, next week, we'll look a bit more at uh, verses 21 and 22, the, uh, the family and friends. But there's no reason why our current situation of relative benevolence should go on forever. Don't be surprised. Synagogue, religious rulers, they'll, they'll be hostile. Now, why is that? Well, why is that? Well, it's quite clear in this passage. Verse 18, on my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings. Verse 22, all men will hate you because of me. Gosh, it's, it's Jesus they don't like. Now, when he says, verse 22, all men will hate you, don't, it's not literally, uh, you'll be pleased to know. Um, otherwise, no one would ever become a Christian or be a Christian. That makes, that makes no sense at all. But, but Jesus is saying, look, all sorts of people. This is not a cultural thing. It's not that uh, if you live in the UK, people will hate you. But if you move to France, you'll be wildly popular as a Christian, or you move to the USA, everyone will uh, send up the fireworks. He's not saying, he's just saying, all over the world it's true. This is a universal phenomenon that there'll be hostility towards you if you're a Christian from some people. Now, why is that? Well, Jesus is quite divisive. I mean, he, of course, he's wonderful. He is the most wonderful man who's ever lived. I mean, there's no one like him. You just need to read one of the four accounts of his life and you think, this man is extraordinary. That's certainly how I became a Christian. I didn't really understand which way was up. I didn't understand any doctrine or anything in the Christian faith. I just read Luke's gospel and thought, this man is extraordinary. I've never encountered anyone who's so consistent, so compassionate, so clear. I've just never met anyone like this. He is wonderful, but he's, he's confrontational as well. And actually, <laughs> if I could put it this way, if you've, if you've never been unsettled by something that Jesus says, if you've never thought to yourself, oh, Jesus, I wish you hadn't said that, been so clear. I mean, I wonder if you've really ever understood him. Because there are some things he says, even in this passage, that to our natural human hearts are not sure if we like it. So just in this little passage here, chapter 10, verse 15, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for a town that than for a town that rejects me. Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament is the paradigm for judgment, just utterly destroyed by God. And of course, lots of people say, oh, I don't really like the idea of a God who judges. That's just a bit too... Aggressive, isn't it? A God that judges. I don't, I don't like that. Surely Jesus doesn't say that. Well, he does. And of course, others would say, well, it's okay. Judgment is good. You need justice at the end of time. I want you know, the, the Mugabes of the world to, to be judged. It's good to have justice. But, uh, and I'll be fine. When justice comes, judgment comes, I'll be all right because I'm a nice person. But then, of course, Jesus says things like chapter 10, verse 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me... Before men, I'll also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, I'll disown him before my Father in heaven. So Jesus says, actually, your position in eternity depends upon one thing. Your response to me. 
Oh, hold on a minute, Jesus. The, uh, that's a bit, um, it's a bit exclusive, isn't it? What about the people of other religions? What about the, the, you know, what about the good Hindu? No, 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 says Jesus, just me. You have to trust me. You have to believe I have died for you. And at that point, people, people don't like that. It's too, too exclusive. People get upset by Jesus. Don't be surprised, he says, if there's, if there's hostility to you. Uh, as he puts it very clearly, verse uh, 24 to 25, a student's not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the student to be his, like his teacher and a servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? You see what he's saying? If, you, if you're a Christian, why would you expect to be treated any differently to Jesus? Do you think, he, um, do you think you're more tactful than he was? Do you think you're more intelligent in debate than he was? Do you think you're more sensitive than he was? More worthy than he was? Look, if, if the perfect man was treated with hostility and persecution and you follow him, why would you expect any different? Don't, don't be surprised, he says. Uh, I, this really came home to me. I, you know, I, I've heard this. You know, you've heard this, etc., etc. But this really came home for me uh, years ago when I was at uh, theological college, and there was an article appeared in the uh, the press, in uh, in the Times, just a, a, a daily edition of the Times. It was by the uh, a deputy editor at the time, Mary Ann Seagart, and uh, the headline was Anglicanism's Holy Warriors. And uh, the gist of the article was Oak Hill Theological College, which is where I was studying at the time, Oak Hill College. Is, uh, is now producing, this is her comment, is now producing fundamentalist clergy clones for conservative evangelical churches in the UK. I thought, oh, okay, that's what I am. I'm a fundamentalist clergy. And, um, and one says, you think this is funny. You just think, really? You've not been to this place. We're just buffoons. You know, we, we sort of mess around. We're still schoolboys in one sense. We've Oh, and this is not. Um, but um, you know, what's, this is extraordinary. The conclusion of the article was this: We all worry about extreme fundamentalist Islam, but we fail to notice that extreme fundamentalist Christianity is taking root right under our feet. the intelligent woman. How on earth can you equate those two things and say they're the same? And then, uh, it was just one of my devotions in the morning, I read this and just thought, oh, I should be surprised you. The people would misrepresent. The people would slander. Don't be surprised, says Jesus. It'll happen. It'll happen. Don't be surprised if it happens to you. Universal popularity.
is impossible for the Christian. Yet some will be very, some will meet, you know, you, you'll know this. You'll meet people, they'll be very impressed. Lots of people meet Christians and think, gosh, there is something different about your life. Can you, can you explain to me uh, uh, what's different about your life? I was talking to uh, uh, a, a, a hearing of a girl in the week. She, um, her, she'd uh, completely bungled at work, completely messed up at work, and uh, cost the firm a seven-figure sum, an enormous mistake. Uh, but um, her boss stepped in and took the blame for her. So there was my problem, that's why I take it. And uh, so she just walked away from the situation, and the boss got a rap across the knuckles. I mean, he, he used in credit, as it were, with the bank, but he took the wrap across the knuckles. And she said, why would you do that? I mean, I've worked for a number of bosses who are very happy to take the credit when I do things well. But to take the blame when I do something badly, why would you do that? And he said, well, I think that's what Jesus did for me. He took the blame for my sin and I got the credit, so I mean, that's just how I live my life. She said, oh, where do you go to church? <laughs> now, you'll get that course that'll happen some people find the christian life very attractive when it's lived consistently but not everyone don't be surprised hostility comes says jesus don't be surprised by that but secondly uh, don't be afraid verses uh, 26 to 33 don't be afraid you see that's very much the point of uh, this second section verse 26 do not be afraid of them verse 28 do not be afraid of them. Verse 31, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Okay? So if you're a Christian, hostility will come to you from some people at some point. But don't panic, says Jesus. Don't be afraid of that. And he gives uh, three little reasons. Uh, the truth will be revealed. There's something worse than death. Your father watches over you. Let's uh, go through them fairly quickly. The first thing, verse 26 and 27, don't be afraid because the truth will be revealed. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roots. Jesus says, look, at the end of history, everyone will know the truth. It'll be obvious. So you may as well tell it now. You might as well, because everyone will find out eventually anyway. What would be the point in, uh, I don't know why this would happen, this is nonsense, but what would be the point in the British government not telling anyone that London was going to host the Olympics in 2012. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. We've won, which is good, but now the economy is on belly up and everyone will be very nervous and afraid. And all Londoners will think, oh, goodness me, there'll be all sorts, you know, our traffic uh, tube is busy at the best of times, and now there's going to be thousands and millions of people. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. I'd be hopeless. Because the truth would come out, and all these stadiums would start to be built. And all of a sudden, it's Hyde Park and people are playing beach volleyball. And, you know, it's, there's something going on here which is not normal. The truth would come out. You can't, you can't hush it up. Why would you do that? Let people know. Then they can get ready for it. The obvious thing to do. So if the truth will be revealed, so don't be afraid. I mean, they may as well tell people now. They'll find out eventually. Second... More bluntly, verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Now, here, of course, is one of the reasons why Jesus is a slightly divisive character. As soon as you say this, some, of course, think, oh, for goodness sake, narrow-minded, bigoted, absurd, what is, what is this? I mean, it's, you know, it's the sort of thing that people find deeply offensive about the Christian faith. And probably some here now, you know, thinking, oh, and are switching off. It's a loving warning that Jesus gives. Very striking. Now, of course, uh, people can be alarmist all the time about all sorts of things. And and the media are great at this because it generally sells and they've got nothing else to do but be alarmist sometimes. Apologies to those in the media. The, um, uh, but, you know, certain things get sort of, sort of whipped up and blown up out of all proportion, all proportion, particularly the local newspapers, which, not the nationals, but the local newspapers. I don't know about you, but the, the Lambeth life that comes uh, to us, around us, I mean, it's extraordinary. The, uh, you know, you basically, you'd read the front page, and it basically says, if you ever leave your house, you're going to be mugged. Uh, and it's vastly alarmist, and I've lived there for five years, and it seemed to be okay, and uh, never had that experience. You know, so you get these sort of media uh, hysterias whipped up. You know, the, the avian flu, you know, everyone's going to die from bird flu. And okay, it's good to be prepared, but it wasn't quite as bad as everyone was suggesting, was it? Now, there's some, sometimes there's alarmists, and people think this, I guess, about... The Bible's teaching on hell. Oh, for goodness sake, calm down. It's a bit alarmist. Well, Jesus insists hell is a real place. It's a real place. And you need to prepare so you don't go there. And it's good to be warned ahead of time. When things are real. So there's going to be a tube strike this week. It's good to be warned. Because then you can make alternative plans. I mean, you're going to a country which has malaria. It's good to be warned. You can take your tablets in advance. And hell's a real place. And it's good to be warned. Jesus says it'll be awful. Worse than the destruction that was on Sodom and Gomorrah. Two chapters, two chapters time, he'll say it's, it's a fiery furnace. It's a place of weeping and gnashing. You do anything but go there. Don't go there, says Jesus. It's a loving warning. And so don't be afraid if you're a Christian. Don't be afraid that people might slander you, mock you, kill you. I mean, it's easy for us here, sat tonight. That's not going to happen to us, the latter. We're not going to be killed for our faith. I mean, if you are in Indonesia, or if you are in North Korea, or if you are in uh, northern Nigeria, that, that's a real warning. You know, they could rightly be reading this and saying, well, Jesus, you, know, you say don't be afraid, but we could die. And he essentially says, yeah, that's the worst that can happen. That's the worst that can happen. It's not that bad, though, is it? There's something worse than death. That's... That's the thing to avoid. Well, look, I've mentioned it now. We're talking about hell. And those who are upset are going to be upset. But let me apologize for that, but not for the warning. Let me give you uh, one example of a man who understood this very clearly. Some of you have, would have heard of uh, Polycarp at the beginning of the uh, second century, AD 155. He was the Bishop of Smyrna. 
and he was burnt at the stadium in Smyrna. Uh, He was hauled in and told to recant his faith. Here's how the conversation went. The governor said to Polycarp, Come now, where is the harm in just saying that Caesar is Lord? No. I'm not going to take your advice, he replied. The governor went on pressing him, Take the oath and I'll let you go. Give up your Christ. Polycarp's reply, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? If you do not recant, I will have you burnt to death. The bishops reply, The fire you threaten me with cannot go on burning for very long. After a while it goes out. But what you are unaware of are the flames of judgment in the future, which are in store for the ungodly. Why do you go on wasting your time? Bring on the fire. Those are serious words, but he understood there's something worse than death. Give up Jesus Christ. No, look, the worst you can do is kill me. Then I'll be with him. So go on then, get on with it. I mean, how much more so us, who are a long way down the spectrum from that, that Jesus would say, look, what are you afraid of tomorrow, tonight? What are you afraid of? A little mockery? A little slander? A little social exclusion? A loss of credibility? Oh, for goodness sake, what's the worst that can happen? Don't be afraid. So don't be afraid. The truth will be revealed. There's something worse than death. And the last, 29 to 31, your father watches over you. Your father watches over you. Uh, Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Look, sparrows were worth the same then as they are now. Nothing. And uh, Jesus is saying, look, God, your father, knows when every single sparrow dies. In fact, he determines the moment which it happens. You're worth a lot more than a sparrow. He knows. He is looking after you. He has every detail of your life in his hands. So don't worry what will happen if you stand up and be known as a Christian. God knows you can't fall out of his hand. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. So here's a little thing you can do tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, you get in the shower and you watch the precious few or the many um, (laughs) drift off down the plug hole. And you can say to yourself, God knew that would fall out today. God knows where you're going. Bye bye. I'll never see you again. (laughs) Make sure you're on your own. (laughs) I know I'll never see you again. But God knew and God knows what God knows for every single hair. That's the level of care he has for me. Oh, look, I think I, can, I think I can be a Christian today. I think I can tell someone about Jesus Christ today. If that's the level of minute care that Jesus has for me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Your father watches over you. So who wants to be told that hostility is coming? No one wants to be told that. No one wants to know that. Which is why I think Jesus says, look, you need to know these things. Hostility will come. We've only talked about state and religious, really, this evening. Next week, 
There's a little bit more on friends and family. But um, Jesus says, don't worry. The truth will be revealed. There's something worse than death. Your father's watching over you. Now, you need to know those three, and so do I. Because in truth, of course, I stand up here this evening, and I speak to you of hell. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid that some of you will think I'm an idiot. I'm afraid that some who have been interested in Christian things and coming along for a few weeks will say, ah, stuff that, I'm off. I'm afraid that some will think, boy, that church is just a bit too full on. I can't go there. Yeah, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of those things. But I need these reminders to keep doing this. I need them. Don't be afraid, says Jesus. But of course, what's the impact that it has when you speak of these things, when you speak of Jesus Christ? I read one thing in the week which... Um, really resonated and I've just been mulling in my head. Uh, one one uh, chap put it this way. He was speaking of hell. But conversely, those who believe will love you. And of course that's true. No one is ever going to say, oh thank you very much, that's, you know, I really enjoyed this evening. Uh, no one's going to say that to me. No one's going to say that to you if you, if you speak of these things. But for some who for the first time realize that this is, this is why Jesus came. He came, as we sung earlier, to die. That's why he came. He came to give his life so that we'd be reconciled with our God and Father. He came to take people from hell to heaven. That's why he came. And if people, there'll be some you explain that to and they'll get it for the first time. And they'll love you for being bold enough to explain that to them. They'll love you. The chap I uh, spoke to in the week, the guy said, oh, the Christian faith is binary, isn't it? The, uh, his concluding comment on that, which again I thought was equally striking, it's binary, isn't it, the Christian faith? Jesus, Jesus says, become a Christian. You either say no and you're lost, or you say yes and I give you my everything. Uh, he says, that's quite a big ask. But uh, Jesus never says sorry, does he? Not very English. If I was to say that, this is his comment, if I was to say that, I'd say, look, I'm really asking for everything you've got. Sorry about that. I know it's quite a big ask. Jesus never says sorry. He says, oh, expect hostility. Some of you, globally, will die for believing in me. I'm not going to say sorry. Because, of course, if you're trusting in me, the eternal welcome you have awaiting you is extraordinary. And of course, it's a do remember, I took hell for you. I endured Sodom and Gomorrah. I endured hell for you. So if you do give up all you've got, I'm not going to say sorry. Because I've done that for you. Expect hostility, he says. Don't be afraid. Trust in your Father. Because, of course, in trusting in Him, the future is extraordinary. An eternity with Him. Never says sorry. Because actually what He's done for you and what He's offering you is the best deal you'll ever be offered in your life. Let's pray together.
our Heavenly Father. These are sober words on the lips of Jesus Christ. And you know, for most of us in our hearts, we, we don't want to hear these. We, we don't want to focus on these. There is so much that uh, we love hearing from the lips of Jesus, that to hear these words, it's much harder. But we thank you that he loves us so much. And Father, you love us so much that you give us clear warnings that hell is a real place, that we need to trust in you to move from there, to look forward to being in heaven. So for those of us who are already Christians, thank you for the, the reality that hostility will come. Would you help us to dwell on the truths, your promises, so we would not be afraid. We'd be bold in standing up for you. And Father, we pray in doing so that others would come to recognize that Jesus Christ took hell for them. He is the most loving man who has ever lived. Lord, they come to worship him. Amen.